All right. Thank you, worship team. Fantastic as always. You guys should clap for the worship team, right? They're awesome. I also want to thank like Joanna and Pat and John and David and all the people back there. Yeah, you can clap them. Give them, give them a clap. You know, I, I'm the worst person for them when I speak because I don't usually have all my scriptures until like, I don't know, midnight last night. So it's kind of like they're waiting for these scriptures so they can throw them up on the, on the, on the screen for you. I'm kind of old school. It's like if you don't have your Bible, you're really, no, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the reality of it is, though, is that sometimes I'm just wrestling with things, you know, and, and God is always faithful and I'm grateful for that. And um, so hopefully you'll, I, I believe the Lord has given me something to, to speak to you about this morning. I guess you can't guess what it is maybe, right? No, nobody knows. What is it today? Palm Sunday. Sunday, That's right. I'm not speaking on that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Although, well, I'll leave that for later. We'll go for that later. Um, Good morning. Welcome uh, to Bridge Community Church. We're glad you're here and um, we're excited for Palm Sunday. And uh, we're going to be spending some time in a couple of different books of the Bible because uh, Palm Sunday or, or the triumphal entry is, is really one of the few events that is, is really detailed in all four of the Gospels of, of uh, the Scriptures. And it's, it's found in Matthew 21, it's found in Mark 11, it's found in Luke 19, and it's found in John chapter 12. And I, as I was studying, I started kind of realizing that there were things that I knew about, you know, that weren't in that particular scripture that I wanted to talk about. So I kind of mixed them all in a little bit. So there's going to be some turning back and forth, and, and, uh, and hopefully we'll get through it as, as we should. But before I get into the two books I'm going to probably focus on the most, really are, are um, Matthew chapter 21 and Luke chapter 19. And I, I remember one time I asked you guys to put your finger there and hold, hold that spot, and I think I never got back to that scripture, so I'm not going to do that this time. Um, I do want to go backwards, though, for a second, because before we get into uh, Palm Sunday, there's a lot of history, and, and I really want to capture a couple key components before we get to that. And the first component of it is, is that this particular day, Palm Sunday was was prophesied about in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 and it was declaring kind of what was going to happen and there was specific language that Zechariah used 400 years prior to the day that that Christ entered in on Palm Sunday and and that particular language was really fairly simple it basically said that that your king is coming lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And what's interesting is, is that if you fast forward into Matthew and, and, and to some of the other books, it is the exact same language that Zechariah prophesied. And it actually states that this was done by Christ to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. And so what you find is 400 years ago it was spoken and it, it came to be true. And I think it's important to know that. Because why? People, you know, that doesn't happen. The chances of that just happening are zero, right? I mean, the reality of it is, is that it was a God-breathed moment in time. But when we get to the the triumphal entry, and we get into the very first verses in in Matthew and and the rest of the the books, what's happening is it's, it's, it's Jesus and his disciples are on their way towards Jerusalem from Jericho, and they're stopping off in a town called Bethany. And as they get there, it's the, it's the story that we know fairly well where they need a donkey and, and, the, and Jesus sends them into another town nearby. And we get, we're at that particular point, but there's, there's a reason they're going there. And the reason they're going there is to celebrate the Passover. That's the main focus of why they're going. 
And as I began to read and kind of look at things, I thought, you know, what did it look like? Because when you see the movies or you see you know, people teach about it, you think, oh yeah, there's people in the city and it's town and it's this and it's that, but it's a whole lot more than that. So I, I do want to take a few minutes, and, and, and uh, this is going to answer uh, Ricardo your question, because Ricardo wanted to know how I was going to get Exodus into Palm Sunday. <laughs> so, so in Exodus chapter 12, if you don't mind turning there, in Exodus chapter 12, um, I'm going to read that in a few seconds. But before I read chapter 12, I want to go backwards even just a little bit further than that to chapters uh, 10 and 11. I don't know why I can't. There we go. Sorry, I was stuck in Genesis. Um, and I want to talk about this. So basically, where, where I want to pick up is the children of Israel are still in bondage. They're still slaves in Egypt. And in, and in Exodus chapter 12, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 10, what happens is you see um, Moses calls down darkness upon Egypt. Now, you think, okay, darkness, no big deal, you light a candle, you do whatever. No. When he call, and and, and the, term, the phrase that was used was darkness that could be felt. Now think about that for a second. And it was so dark that you couldn't see one another. And it was so dark, it says, that they didn't leave their resting place for three days. So that means you're lying in bed for three days. It was so dark and you felt it that you, they couldn't even get out of bed, look at anybody, eat nothing for three days. Now, again, I have a strange mind, but after coming off an event like that, if I was an Egyptian, and then Moses showed back up the next day, I think I would be saying something like, you know what, dude, you're right. But that's not what happens. And so Pharaoh comes, he goes before Pharaoh, and Moses is like, hey, now are you going to let us go so we can go worship? And he goes, I'm going to let you go, but you can't take any of the animals. Well, we need to take the animals because we need to make sacrifices and, you know, on and on. And you know the story. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so he will not let them go. And so he says to Moses, the next, he goes, get out of my sight. The next time I see you, you will die. And then Moses goes in and he begins to declare what God has spoken to him. And he talks about asking the neighbor for gold and silver and that sort of a thing. And this is, this is in chapter uh, uh, 12, I believe. But then he gets into what the actual last plague is going to look like and what's going to happen. And what he basically says to Pharaoh is he says, listen, right around midnight, what's going to happen is the angel of the Lord is going to go out into Egypt. And when he goes out into Egypt, he is going to kill the firstborn of everything. The firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of handmaidens, and the firstborn of all the animals. And as a result of that, there will be a cry out of Egypt that has never been heard before, and a cry that will never be heard again. And he talks about the fact as well, he makes it very clear, and, and with that, when he says that, Moses leaves. And then what does he do? That's where we, that's where we wind up in, in uh, Exodus chapter 12. My apologies, what I just spoke was in Exodus 11. For those of you that are going to give me a bad check mark on that. Um, so let's pick up in, in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. 
And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it, which is kind of like the header. Then they shall eat the flesh on, the, on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all of Egypt, um, excuse me, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I set the, see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. And when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a, mem- a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. It's, a, it's an interesting passage of scripture, but it's very detailed in what God is asking the children of Israel to do. He's asking them to do it, especially the first night, but it's also, he says, look, this is something you're going to do over and over again. It's not a one-time thing. And Passover is still celebrated today. But what's interesting about it is I want to just highlight a couple of the key um, elements of what Moses was speaking to them. He talked about the fact, the, the importance of going and picking a lamb, whether it was from the, the, the goats or the sheeps, but picking a lamb. And that lamb was what? Spotless, without blemish, right? It was, it was a, 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 a lamb that was the most beautiful lamb that you had. And that was on the 10th of the month, of that first month, that you were supposed to pick that lamb. And what you were supposed to do with that lamb is take that lamb and, and bring it into your house and take care of it for the next three or four days. I think it was four days, maybe five. Now, I was reading that, and I'm thinking, okay. And, and I began to think, you know, because the thought process of some of the things I was reading were saying, look, you bring that lamb into the house, what are the children going to do after two or three days with the lamb? I'm thinking, come on, how connected can you really get to a lamb in three or four days, right? You know, God is funny how he reminds me of things. I was literally having that thought process, and he, he brought, I'm going to tell you a story, he brought this picture to my mind. So we had two cats. One was rusty and one was lucky. And they were, they were both white and, and gold cats, and we loved them. And we lived up in Broadmoor, which is a, a great area, but coyotes like to roam that area pretty well. So one day we get a call that somebody sees our cat in a coyote's mouth on Newport and, you know, San Diego Boulevard or whatever it was. And it's like we go out trying to find him. We can't find him. So, he, you know, clearly the coyote got him. So we have one cat left. So I'm like, okay, great. We have one cat left. I mean, I love that cat. Don't misunderstand me. And I love the cat that we still had. Lucky. Lucky was lucky. 
So anyways, so fast forward, I don't know, maybe it was a, a month, maybe it was a little shorter than that, a little longer than that, I'm terrible at that, but I, I know what happens next. So I hear that my children have found a cat uh, that they want us to, to have. I'm like, no, I don't want another cat. Why am I going to want another cat? We already got Lucky, you know what I mean? He's not going to like this little cat running around because Lucky was kind of skittish anyways, and he's just, he's not going to be happy, right? So I'm not getting another cat. Oh, Dad, come on, please. I'm like, no, I'm trying to set my foot down, right? So we're just going to try it out for a couple of days. I go, I'm, if, if, that, if Lucky does not like that cat, we are not keeping that cat, right? So, and this was a setup. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm convinced it was a setup. So all three of my kids and my wife come over and they bring the cat and it's all wonderful and it, she's cute. She's this little fluffy thing, long hair, and it's be- she's beautiful, right? I have many pictures of her phone, uh, my phone. <laughs> so I gave it away, right? So um, you knew, you knew. So anyway, so I'm thinking, okay, so this is a cute little cat, whatever, no big deal. I'm not going to, we're not keeping because Lucky clearly does not like this cat. So they leave. They go somewhere, grocery store, whatever, I don't know. So I'm sitting there watching TV, and what does that little cat do? Runs over and plops in my lap. Falls asleep in my lap. Hasn't happened since, by the way. But falls asleep in my lap. And I'm sitting there watching TV, and I'm just none the wiser. I'm thinking, this cat's pretty cool. You know, I'm petting her, and she's asleep, and I'm watching TV, and the door closes. She doesn't move, and I'm not thinking straight, right? I should have just, you know. But anyways, what, what happens? They turn the corner, and there's Bella asleep in my arms. Now, that cat stole my heart that moment, right? And we ha- still have that cat. It's been 11 years, 12 years. Lucky was not so lucky at some point in his life, and he went back to be with the Lord. So <laughs> my point is this, right? It doesn't take long to become attached to an animal. And, and the reality of it is, is understanding that you have love for something, but but the reality of what this is is that it's, it's, it's just symbolism saying what? That God gave his only begotten son, the pure and spotless lamb. And you know this lamb is spotless. It has no blemish, and you love this lamb. And, and for whatever reason, now you have to sacrifice it, right? And, and it's just, and, and it's difficult, and it's hard, but it's just a glimpse into the reality of, of how the Lord was responding in it. But every household had to bring the lamb and take care of it. And then on the 14th day of that month, now I'm not, uh, not going to go down this road because I'm not a scholar when it comes to the Jewish calendar. All I know is I read enough to understand it's roughly four to five days between that 10th and the 14th or the 15th, depending on how you look at it, because evening makes a difference. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I think what I'm saying is right. So basically on the 14th of that month, the lamb was to be sacrificed. The blood was then to be what? Washed on to the, 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 what we call the header and, and, the, and the, um, the doorposts of the door. And the, the header was basically of the, of the house, right? Blood was supposed to be put on that. And then the blood was a sign for God. So that when the angel of the Lord passed over, the sign of the blood was what? Pass over this house and go to the next one, right? And that's, that's the key of, of, of what we're talking about in terms of that. And, and then he makes a statement, though, that this day shall be a memorial throughout your generations, and it should be a feast. And I think it's important that we recognize that this is something that was continued on uh, long into the future and still goes on today. And we're going to come back to that in, in a little bit. But that being said, so now we kind of have a little bit of a history of where we pick up when we get to, um, to, to uh, some of the scriptures on the Passover excuse me, on the triumphal entry. 
In the days leading up to triumphal entry, Jesus' ministry was in full operation, right? He had just um, cured 10 lepers. He had healed the blind. He had visited and had dinner with Zacchaeus. And he, um, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. So he was doing all of these things. His, his ministry was in full swing at that moment in time as he's coming up on, on, on the triumphal entry. And as he does that, what should begin to happen is the... the, the the account of what happened with Lazarus began to spread throughout Bethany and throughout the neighboring city and, and everywhere. And if you recognize that, that what he's walking into, as I mentioned earlier, is the Passover feast. So what happens is more and more people, as it gets closer to Passover, are starting to migrate towards Jerusalem. So what we find is there's many travelers going back and forth, not to mention the fact the preparation that was required by Jerusalem to be prepared for the Passover feast. I read several accounts of what it would take, and they would say six weeks prior to the feast, they would begin to do things around the city. They would begin to, 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 to fix the ritual baths. They would begin to whitewash the tombs. They repaired the roads. They, they, they put up stations for people to stay. I mean, it was, they begin to erect like hundreds of, of these ovens knowing that they were going to have to what? To cook these hundreds of thousands of lambs that were going to be brought in to Jerusalem. Many accounts say it was north of 250,000 lambs that would be cooked at that moment in time. I don't know about you, that's a lot of lamb. And that's a lot of effort, right? But it's, it's, so understand what's going on. This isn't a little party. And I, I'm going to say this, and please don't take it, hold it against me, but it's the only picture that I can think of. We've all seen pictures of it, and I think this is like Christian Mardi Gras. People are everywhere, right? There's no room in the streets. There's no room anywhere else to go. It's just packed. It's like you're walking like two seconds, a couple, uh, maybe about a year ago or two years ago, my wife and Marianne, uh, her sister, they went to New York for the lighting of the Christmas tree. Never got to the actual lighting of the Christmas tree. They left their hotel, and she said, literally, Scott, we didn't even have to move. It would, they would, the, the sheer force would pick us up and walk us, you know, five feet, three feet, whatever it was. They were there for hours. They never got there. So imagine, though, that that's what's happening in this particular place. People are coming from all over the place. And it's the Jews coming back to what? To be faithful to what God had called them to when it came to the Passover. Travelers surely would have heard about what had happened as they went by. I want to uh, read this to you. No, I, I hit most of this, though. I, I want to read you the last part of this. It says, Accommodations and lodgings for the pilgrims needed to be made ready. The city was turned upside down. As the pilgrims approached the city, their multitudes converged until their throngs filled the roads into Jerusalem. Their voices rose together, singing the psalms of ascent as they went up to Jerusalem to keep the appointed time in the appointed place. You see, there was an air of excitement about what was happening, right? When you remember something that God did for you, and in this particular case, the, the children of Israel were remembering what? That the freedom that came when they were released from the bondage of slavery to Egypt. When you remember what God has done for you in your life, it builds your faith. When you remember what God has done for you in life, it encourages you. When you remember what God has done for you in your life, it pleases God. And when you go and you say, God, I thank you for what you did, not for me, but for all of those before me as well. 
right? What they're talking about is a people. And so they would go. So there was, a, there was an excitement in the air, but there was also a tension. Because what? It wasn't just the Jewish, the, the, the people of, of, of Israel that were going there. There were people that were going there, like the scribes and the Pharisees, that were looking for somebody. And in their minds, it's, we're going to find this Jesus, and we're going to arrest him, and we're going to take care of it, because we're not happy with this guy. Not to mention, they, wanted, they, they were wanting to kill Lazarus again as well. So they were looking for Jesus, and they were looking for Lazarus. So there's this tension that's going on in the city. So now let's, let's take a moment, and I'm going to read John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Sorry. I always say I'm going to mark these, but I don't. Um, let's start uh, verse 1. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil." Now it goes on, it talks about how Judas Iscariot kind of boxed at the fact that the perfume wasn't sold. We all know the story, man. He's, he's a crook and he ends up, you know, betraying Jesus. But, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize that, that they end up in Bethany two days, um, six days before the Passover, right? And they're there and then they end up having dinner. And then the next day is when Jesus leaves and they go and they, they, they send out to get a donkey and then they start heading down that road. I just want to make mention of that as we continue on. In verse 9 it says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So turn with me to, to, to Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to read the account of um, the, the triumphal entry. I'm going, to, I'm going to jump back and forth, and I'll let you know when I do with Luke and John as well. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of the donkey. Jumping to Luke chapter 19, verse 32. And it says this, So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
I want to jump to John 12, 12. And it says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out and met him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Luke 19, 39 says, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when the enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you on your children and your children with you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. It's really a, a powerful passage of scripture, and as you read through the, the different gospel accounts and you catch certain components of it that stand out to you, and what I really want to just hit a couple of those key, key issues that, that I, I believe kind of the Lord put on my heart. And, and the first one is, and it's, it's well known, that, that Jesus came in on a donkey. And, and what you find is, is that in that particular time, a donkey wasn't necessarily a, a bad creature. It was even considered in some, some ways uh, a regal creature. And, and it was used for kings to ride in, especially a king that was coming to promote peace. Because riding on a donkey was the symbolism of peace. It was promoting not, not a, a conquering figure, not, not somebody that was, that was leading an army, but it was somebody that was there to promote peace and, and humility. What people wanted was him to ride in on a horse. What they were looking for was somebody to come in and take over and, and bring a conquering army that would what? Would free them from Roman rule. They, they didn't want to continue to be living under Roman rule. In, in that particular setting. So when they saw Jesus, it, it puzzled them. They weren't sure. And they begin to question. Horses were ridden by conquerors, someone leading an army. And when Jesus arrives, what happens? He's greeted with shouts of Hosanna and waving palm branches. And they call him King of Kings. And they, they call him, um, I mean, I, I love a couple of, of the things that they say. Um, of course, I can't find it. Blessing to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So the whole picture that is being painted is that the king is coming in what? In humility and in lowliness and in what? Peace. And that's ultimately what he's trying to accomplish. So how does Jesus arrive? He arrives in humility. And when does Jesus arrive is another key component that I think we want to talk about. When Jesus arrived, it, when he was at, um, in Bethany at um, Lazarus' house having dinner, when he left to, to actually get the donkey and then start to head into Jerusalem, it was the 10th of the first month. Now, I just mentioned to you the 10th of the first month somewhere else. What was that? The 10th of the first month was when the children of Israel were supposed to take their lamb, the spotless lamb, and bring it into the house. Jesus arrives into Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified on the 10th of the first month. 
right? It's interesting. He was, he was um, arriving to shouts of Hosanna. He was arriving to, to palm branches, palm branches. And, and he was excited because what? It was the same date that the Israelites were to bring the lambs in without blemish. Almost 1,500 years after the first Passover in Egypt, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey on the 10th of the first month. I want to read a little blurb that I, that I, I found as I was researching this. I, I love the way it, it speaks to this. It says, by their shouts, they herald him to be the long-awaited Messiah. They are shouting, save us, I pray. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom that comes. Our father David, save us from the highest. Save us, son of David. Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. With these acclamations, the people have made it clear. They have reached a decision. They have made a choice. They have chosen the Messiah. By mass acclamation, acclamation, Yeshua is designated the Messiah. Unwittingly, the crowds have chosen their Passover lamb on the day the lambs were to be chosen. It's, it's, very, it's an interesting, um, you know, only God, right, sets things up this way. Because if you look at the children of Israel, they understand the Passover. And they understand what it means and what it's celebrating. And what it meant to them was freedom from bondage and freedom from the, the slavery of Egypt. But now you have Jesus Christ, who is the final Passover lamb, right? And what is he offering them? He's offering them something totally different. He's offering them freedom from sin, freedom from bondages in their own life. He's offering them eternal life. It's a completely different. It's much better than freedom from bondage and freedom from slavery. It's eternal salvation. And so the spotless lamb enters into Jerusalem. A few, a few verses down, um, let me read it to you real quick. Oh, I'll just mention it. In the few, and this is in, uh, in Luke, I believe. A few verses down, it talks about how when Jesus entered, that he looked and he wept over Jerusalem. And, you know, I've, I've read that verse many times, and you, you kind of understand, you know, what, what's going on. But he wept over Jerusalem. And, and why did he weep over Jerusalem? He wept because as he saw them, and he was being ushered in under all of these great praises, he recognized two things. One, the fickleness of the hearts of the people that were worshiping him. You see, he knew that as the song, I love this song, Come Thou Fount, right? I love the word it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love, right? It's, it's the reality of what's inside of each one of us. So he's there and he's hearing all these shouts and they're praising him as he's the Messiah. But he recognizes that in a short amount of time, that's not what they're going to call him. That's not how they're going to treat him. Him. And he begins to also recognize, he knows that around 70 AD, all of Jerusalem, and it's, it's, in, it's in Luke chapter 19, where it talks about the complete destruction of Jerusalem, to the fact that where there was no stone left on another stone. I mean, they raised to the ground, nothing left, as a result of their disobedience and their un, and not recognizing who Christ was. Those who shattered Hosanna were going to soon shout, crucify him. And it broke his heart. And he knew the consequences. The end of verse 44 says, Because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
They missed it completely because Jesus didn't meet their idea or their, or their picture of what the Messiah should look like. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a horse and not a donkey. They wanted freedom from Roman rule. And yet Christ, humbly riding on a donkey, was bringing a much better and longer-lasting freedom. He was bringing them freedom from sin. And Christ was bringing eternal life. What, the question that I began to ask myself as I was preparing for this message is, and I began to read was, how did they miss it? Why did they miss it? Some got it, but not as many as you would have hoped. And I think that the, the, the question that the Lord asked me and I had to ask myself really was, what am I missing? Does God do things in my life and I, and I see it and it's not what I wanted it to be? And I look at it and I think, man, it really shouldn't look that way or I was imagining it would be something else. I don't know about you, but my life is full of things where I've prayed and asked God to do something and he does it and it doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to look. In fact, it never looks like what I think it's going to look like. And that doesn't mean it's worse, it just means it's never what I think it's going to be. Does that happen to anybody else? Why do you think that is? We don't understand what's best for us most of the time. God wants to bless us. We know he wants to take care of us. I love that song we just sang, that God is good. It's all true. But God knows what's better for us, and God knows what we need, and we know what we want. <laughs> want is a whole lot different. But God is so faithful to bring us to a point. And I think when, I, when, he, when he said, Scott, you know, what, what, are you, what are you missing? I said, well, God, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think I'm trying to live that life of, okay, God, I, I resign this to you. I lay it down. What do you want to do? How do you want the, what do you want this to look like? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to, to, to spend my time? And in doing so, God is faithful to reveal things to me. But like I said, it's, it's usually not what I expect it to be. And I felt like the, the challenge this morning would be, what, what are you missing? Have you asked yourself, what am I missing? Are there things in my life that I look at and I think, well, that, it, that can't be what we're, we're getting. We're going to get a Messiah. We're going to get the horse, the army that's going to free us right now. i got to tell you, most of the things that God has moved Linda and I into, it wasn't for us. <laughs> I mean, it was for us, but it was for something else. It was an answer, but it was because God needed to do something in my life, but he needed to use me to do something in somebody else's life. You see, we only see how it affects us or what it looks like to us. But God is saying it's so much more than that. And many times, and I've said this before, we miss it because of the pain it's causing, because of the trial that it is, because of the difficulty inside of it, because whatever particular reason. Surely this isn't the answer, God. Surely this isn't what you have for me. And at the same time, if I step back and I'm honest with myself, I see the fingerprints of God all over that area. And I've seen God move miraculously in so many areas of my life that it's like, it's almost ridiculous that I still sometimes can't quite get it. But what I love about God is that he, he's faithful, right? He still loves me. He's, he's not going to punish me because I made a mistake. He's going to say, come on. Let's try this again. He's patient. He's long-suffering. So I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to, to take home with yourself the question. As we get prepared for, for Easter. Because if, 
if the lamb on, on, for Passover was brought in on the 10th and it was slain four days later, then the ultimate new lamb, the, the lamb of the Passover, Christ, was what? Entered the city of Jerusalem the same time that the, that, that the Israelites were picking their lamb that had no blemish. And the next step is exactly the same on the same day. And that will, you'll get more on that at Easter when, when Pastor Danny speaks next week. But I just, I, I, I don't want us to lose sight of the importance of this particular day leading into what's coming next week. Because I think Andy's right when he talks about it's like the Super Bowl of Christianity, right? But I also want to challenge our, 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 uh, our sight in, in looking at things and what God is doing. Are we faithful? Are we, are we thankful for God even when something that we are encountering is difficult or challenging? It's a trial. We need to step into that and say, God, I trust you. I believe in you. And watch what God does. Look for the, look for the, the, look for the fingerprint of God. Understand that he is still in control. That's, that's the challenge that I have for you this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I ask that, Lord, that the words that were spoken would, would touch the hearts of the people. That, Lord, that you would move into their lives, that you would change them. God, we thank you for sacrificing your son. We thank you for the word that allows us to, to go back and see your hand throughout this whole circumstance. And how you directed them. And God, we ask for direction in our own life, God. We ask for clarity of sight. We ask for understanding and wisdom. God, we pray that you would continually move in our lives. Change us, Lord Jesus. God, we are excited for what's about to come as we celebrate, Lord, the death but the resurrection as well. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness in our lives. We pray a blessing over each person. Keep them safe. Bring them back safe next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Don't forget we have Good Friday service on Friday, and then Sunday is Easter. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.
was made And then your fire came 